reveal the truth. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. Yeah, man, it really tied the room together. Don't judge me, Rocky. You're a wizard, Harry. Why so serious? Here's Johnny! Episode 10 of Lords of Film. On tonight's show, we have a man that is no stranger to the world of entertainment. From co-creating to directing and producing and voice acting and everything else that you can possibly do, this guy's done it all. He's been involved with projects such as Venture Brothers, Metalocalypse, and my personal favorite show to ever grace the airwaves, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. We're here tonight to talk about his incredible documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Please welcome to the show John Schnepp and his lovely lady as well as producer Holly Payne. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, guys. Let's talk about The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Uh, what's up? Um, hey. So what did you guys think of the film? Oh, it was fucking amazing. Like, just the, you just getting, down, getting to sit down with, like, Peters and Burton and, and all the, and, like, Sylvain, all these, like, amazing, yeah. like, like it's like everyone you ever wanted in like a documentary you got you were able to like go to Tim Burton's house and like just chill with him and talk to him about that. Like, yeah, that shit's fucked up, right? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's uh, it all took a long time to make happen, but it's pretty cool that it all happened that way. So. We love Sylvain, by the way. He's yeah, awesome. You Such him. a cool he's actually, artist. He's one of our favorite interviews for sure. Controversial man with many things and opinions. We I love, love him. What he yeah, exactly. I, uh, you know, what did he say? I signed the contract and I entered hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had so many great moments. It was like, oh, we have to try to keep as many of these awesome flavory moments in the film. But uh, all he the- hates superhero films, too. Yeah. He was actually, before uh, we were able to lock down the interview with him, um, the things that he told John about, he's like, you, you realize I'm not going to talk about the curl of Superman's cape. Right. Yeah, and I was like, please say that on film. <laughs> you don't understand. We want you to say all that delicious flavor in on the in the film in the interview. So <laughs> it took a while to get him to. It was kind of cantankerous for a little bit. He was like, he'd agree to do it, and then he'd like a month before I was getting the tickets to go fly out to do. He was like, I've decided I can't do it. Something doesn't sit right in my stomach. I was like, come on, dude. So finally, we locked him down, and then when we did it, we all had a blast. We had fun. He's a pal. It's all good. So yeah. it's like sometimes people feel a little, little weird about getting on film and actually stating what they really think because they're like, am I going to get crucified? Am I going to get, are people going to hate me? I'm like, no, people are actually going to probably dig you for like just but being frankly, he He's one of the few that didn't give a fuck. He was like, I'll, yeah, I'll say that. I'll say whatever I want. So yeah. it was great. But he's also like a, an encyclopedia of film knowledge. Too. Yeah. Super smart film dude and art guy all around. Yeah, you can definitely tell. Um, let's rewind just a little bit. Like, where did the where did the beginning start for this? Like, what was the basic idea? What got the you know what got it going? Well, um, I'd been uh, just collecting. I'm a comic book nerd. Been a, a nerd like that forever. So oh, yeah. Um, big fan of uh of Superman, Batman, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Spider Man, all the Image, Boom, everybody, all the Independents we used to rock first comics in Chicago, all that kind of stuff. So, um, I you know obviously heard of the Superman film, Superman Lives. Uh, I myself was also interested. I saw that you know uh, it was actually Sylvain's art that got released, and you know over the couple of years, you know of course I saw the you know the the Nick Cage uh, Superman photo that everyone else has seen. That looked like, you know, was it glued to an action figure? Was he stoned? Is that beads around his neck? It was so hard to tell what that photo was. 
that all of us, I remember being in conversations with people for months about that photo. Is that like a weird action figure or what, what is that? Is it, you know, what the fuck is that? So, um, then I was just, you know, and then we forgot about it. And, uh, in 2012, uh, Holly and I were over at, uh, Town, a comic book store here in uh, in LA, and we were seeing uh, D Antwoord. They were talking about uh, oh, wow. you know their music videos, so they were there in person. And one of the guys who works with them, his name's Steve Johnson. He's a special effects artist. Okay. He was happened to be sitting right next to me, and some other sweaty was like, "Hey man, you want the de- the guy who created Death Clock? You got to meet the dude who created Slimer." So we just started talking, and I I recognized him, but so I, he he took off and used the bathroom. I looked him up and Googled him. And I realized he's the guy who made, I saw those YouTube clips of the, you know, the light up suit and the rainbow suit and all that stuff. And so he came back and I, I asked him, I was like, Hey man, you made those like Superman suits and he looked embarrassed. So I didn't really talk to him about it anymore. Holly and I went over, had some uh, dinner over across the street at this Thai food place. And uh, we were ta- I was just talking about, um, I had been collecting this artwork for the last probably about three or four years. Uh, just online, I would go search Superman Lives concept art and anything that new that might pop up. There was like an artist, Liam Sharp, like his cool designs were there online. It was really minimal, though. Yeah. There was really hardly anything out there at that time. If you Google search it now, everything that you see, pretty much 90% of what you see on the web is from our film now. But at the time, there was nothing. Yeah, so I kind of was like, talking about it with some friends one of my friends i just run a kickstarter the year before for this animated short film that and i raised 175 grand so they're like hey why don't you uh try me one of my friends said you should make a documentary about this sounds really interesting and then the other friend said you should try raising the money on kickstarter and i was like nah and then a, about a month and a half later i just the idea wouldn't leave me and i was like you know i really am interested in this and I would love, no one else is going to do this. It's like too weird of an idea. Anybody I talked to about it, they were like, that's kind of, why would you even want it to make a documentary? There's nothing there. The movie would have sucked. And I was like, I think there's something there. I think that that we're like, there's so much there that we just need to find out. So uh, I I ran a Kickstarter for it and uh, it just went around the world globally and we were able to raise the money. Uh, It took a lot longer than I had originally put in the Kickstarter. It took like three times as long to actually finish the film. And uh, we had to do another round of crowds funding. We actually had to bring another private investor who put in money towards the end. So it, really, it literally, it took like, you know, two and a half full years to finish the film the way we wanted to finish the film. Because there were a couple times that I had offers from different companies who were would uh, say, you know, if you could finish it right now. And I was like, well, it's not done now. It'll be done when it's actually done. That's so, the thing is that people want to make their money and they don't care what the product is unless it's actually just, you know, if they, if they can get as much money off of it as they can, then that's right, what they're interested right. in. But the fact of the matter is that at that stage, we didn't have any of those interviews that, that you saw in final product. And, you know, I mean, even jumping ahead, uh, we didn't get John Peters until a month before we finished the film. So we had wow. multiple cuts of this film. Um, but it took, it takes time. You know, it wasn't, it was no easy process to get Tim Burton, you know? So, um, but it, you know, once we got him, then it was much easier to get everybody else. You know. Right. Yeah. The first, the first like eight or nine months was really just us kind of like getting a few interviews. I think Carrie Gamble, the uh, Superman artist who did some of the uh, designs, he was the first person we actually interviewed. Um, we didn't even have our money yet from Kickstarter. We interviewed him at Monster Palooza, so it was like he was one of the first people to agree to do the interview. Wesley Strick is another person who was one of the first people to say they would do it. So. Wesley Strick's the second uh, screenwriter for the Superman Lives project. 
So it took a lot of time. And I got to thank so many people out there who wrote in and sent me, uh, you know, clues and hints. It was sort of like this one person was working in Canada and basically gave me the production manager's number of uh, big eyes. And so I wrote and left a message. And then that email uh, got to Derek Fry, who's Tim Burton's personal executive producer of films currently now. And uh, he ended up communicating with me about two months later saying, hey, I got your email. Tim doesn't know if he wants to be in the film or talk about it, but how long can you wait? And I just wrote him back. I could wait forever. It's, you know, it's Tim Burton's Superman movie. I want him in the, he has to be in the film. So uh, I got another email back like four months later saying, hey, uh, can you come out in another three months and come out? Then it became 2000. Uh, 14, can you come out to London and meet Tim? So he wanted to meet us first. So Holly and I flew out to London. We were broke then. It took so long. We were actually dead broke. We had to borrow some money. We flew out to London and we met Tim. We went to his house, met Tim and Derek. And they were completely cool, super awesome guys. So like the interviews were pretty much dead on how Tim was. He just seemed like so relaxed. Obviously he was in his own home. Like he was just so relaxed and cool. Well, I think what happened was that, you know, like John said, we, we didn't know we were going to have the interview um, initially. We had to meet him first. Okay. Um, we shot the interview a day or two days after we met him. But the initial meeting with him was really casual. I mean, uh, the first thing that I noticed was that um, I'm, I'm a big children's illustration fan. And when we came up to his place, he lives in uh, Arthur Rackham's old house. And Arthur Rackham is an incredible children's illustrator. So like the first sort of thing that that tim and i talked about was children's illustration i was like i'm a big arthur rackham fan he's like oh wow that's cool and then john started talking to him about hammer horror films because he has these amazing you know horror film posters in his house so the the ice was broken very quickly and um and i and then john even was you know he to be courteous he said hey do you want me to go through some of the questions before we uh do the interview and he's like no no no, we'll just we'll just improvise we'll just do it then on you know at the time um but but it was basically 15 minutes after we met him that he said, yeah, I'll do this thing. Yeah. So, wow. so then we came back two days later and we did like a, like an almost two hour interview and he was great. He was incredibly awesome. And then we interviewed Derek Fry and they were super helpful. And then a month later, Tim, uh, through one of his guys who works here in LA gave us access to his personal archives here in Los Angeles. And honestly, that's like one of the highlights of, of making this film. It was completely unexpected yeah. because we didn't know. We had no idea how much or how little was out there at the time. And then when we got there, you know, we were given, you know, carte blanche to basically shoot every bit of Superman live stuff that was in the archive, um, which took us two full 16 hour days to complete. That's how much there was. We couldn't, we couldn't shoot anything else. Yeah. We weren't allowed to shoot anything else. I can tell you some of the things we saw. Uh, we saw the topiary from Edward Scissorhands in the back of this this warehouse, a tiny warehouse, by the way. It's not, yeah. it wasn't massive, um, but everything but was stacked still. to the ceiling. It's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a, a clear, like a clear translucent flying saucer from Mars Attacks, like so literally a five foot. And I was like, I'm, I want to take that. I want to <laughs> live in it. I want to live inside of it. Wow. Yeah, amazing we didn't have any we were overwhelmed with what we we found um that still was around from superman lives oh unbelievable the artwork was nearly made us cry it yeah. was so beautiful like all that krypton stuff you gotta yeah. imagine like there's literally only like two uh illustrations that existed online of krypton and we literally oh here's this 
48 pages of Krypton art and wow. paintings and design. Just Krypton alone. And like, here's another like 72 uh, Doomsday, uh, Doomsday uh, designs. And here's like all these Superman concept uh, resuscitation suit, his new outfit. What is Metropolis going to look like? It was just, it was unbelievable. It also goes to show you how well Warner Brothers buried this thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, it's really, there was nothing out there. Um, and because there was so little out there, when we saw that stuff, it kind of immediately the story started to sort of develop in our minds. There were a lot of people to talk to, you know, yeah. those artists were the first people we were really interested in speaking with because um, they worked so long on developing these concepts. Um, so we, we ended up talking to uh, Bill Bowes, Sylvain, uh, Michael Anthony Jackson and his amazing storyboards, like all of these these concepts. It was really interesting to look at Tim Burton's little, you know, scribbly drawings and then see it interpreted by all these incredible uh, industry concept artists. And it's kind of, was really fun to see the process of it because it was sort of like once Tim Burton agreed to, to be in the film and do the film, everyone else felt really comfortable, especially like Rick Heinrichs, his production designer. And once Rick Heinrichs agreed to do it, now it was Tim and Rick. So all the other artists who worked for both of them felt really comfortable talking about the film they didn't they didn't feel like oh we're we're like kind of talking behind our bosses back it was like no they they did it now i can feel feel good about talking about this and i think it was really cathartic for almost everyone involved because this project was not only was it buried it was also kind of laughed at and made fun of like oh you worked on that piece of shit is the kind of idea <laughs> that had existed so long until our film came out yeah and i think that our film i mean you can sense it at the end of the film um you know no spoilers but you can sense that it's that everyone is feeling like okay this is actually this is good i got to purge this you know what i mean and then once they saw the film they were really happy that the story was told and that so many of them didn't know how far the project had actually right. gone so they all learned a lot more about um, the whole production than they knew from their little tiny their small part of it right because in the pro in the process of making a film everything is sectioned up so there's like one group working in England, there's another group of people working in LA, there's another office in San Francisco and they're doing designs. And none of these designs are shared amongst each other. So each individual artist might not even see someone else's artwork that's in another room, let alone another country. So it really became this cool kind of thing where everyone was like, oh my God, so that's what the, those people were doing that thing. And then this thing was actually those picked. Those wow moments were real. Like we can see all these, especially like Michael Anthony Jackson and Bill Bowes, when they were looking at their own artwork, yeah. they were like, I did that, I but did. I don't remember doing that. Yeah. I know that's my artwork, but it's been so long since I've seen it. So fantastic. those are really satisfying moments. But um, piecing the story together uh, the way that we did was really important for us to tell it in a way that was really... Um, democratic and that everybody could have their own takeaway from it um so we didn't want to we're not fans of documentaries that are very leading you know and sort of right. force their own ideas on we want also honor everybody who's involved that was a very key aspect of this film kyle go for it so holly this next question is for you like tell us about what it's like in the day-to-day -day role when you were producing the movie like did you ever have to run a camera or what was it that you did oh yeah we did well because we had such a tiny crew we each of us did everything you know but we had our editor come on later so it was basically me and john like there were three of us when we flew to london it was me and john and our technical producer chris and we all of us were running cameras on various uh various shoots for various artists various subjects but you kind of do everything from starting from 
actually crowdfunding to social media insanity, which was like, I mean, just rallying people to get interested in this project was a full-time job, you know? So it started with that and you just play it by ear and you just do what needs to get done. You know, you on a project like this, the title of producer encompasses everything. It's not just, you're not doing just one thing there. And a lot of times people don't understand what producers do in general, but as far as an independent production like this, there isn't anything you're not doing. Yeah. I really, I was very lucky to, you know, have Holly uh, be able to come on and be a producer on this because she was with me from the beginning of even the inception of the idea. And as we move forward with the film, she became an integral part of it. And, you know, having that, that opinion, which is different than your own is super important. So it was like having me and Marie and Holly, like we're looking at the edit as we, as we cut in different interviews and things like that. Also, it's like, I could concentrate on different things because once we got a rhythm, like pretty much the last year, we were like, all right, you're doing this, I'm doing that. And we would trade off and it was, it was a good team effort. And I think it really, it really shows when you see the film. So it was also helpful that we were all really passionate about the subject matter. And the more that we got to know the subject that we're being interviewed, they all frankly became friends of ours. But as we're going along, there wasn't, even though we were doing a lot of overnights and a lot of, there was a lot of sleepless nights and working nonstop, but yeah. we were, we were so invested in the production and seeing it to its organic end that it was really, um, it felt really good. Yeah. I, I want to give a shout out to Marie Hamora and uh, Chris Grable. Um, they were incredibly integral to the entire production. Uh, Chris Grable just literally killed it doing after effect shots. He did yeah, over 600 shots. I mean, oh. I brought him on originally. Just, I didn't know how, how he was going to help out, but I knew he was like invested and really wanted to help. So as a, you know, he was like kind of new to After Effects. He had done some work in After Effects and I'd done a ton of like doing After Effects stuff for Metalocalypse yeah, and I yeah. very, very well knowledge in After Effects. So I kind of gave him just a, didn't have the time. Yeah, I didn't have the time. So I showed Chris like, hey, do this, do that. And the guy just like, it, he attacked it. He became, he was like doing 3D doing shots. Like in five minutes. It was amazing. Yeah, and super he, fast. All together, he did how many shots? Over 600 shots. Over 600 positive wow. yeah. shots. Fantastic. Yeah. And Marie as well. I met her through Jason, who was working at the stu studio where we, where our offices are, and he suggested, "Oh, well, my my lady friend is an editor. It would be great if you could check her stuff out." So I, I looked at a reel. Holly looked at a reel. We were like, "Wow, she's fantastic." We met with her. She's got a bubbly, great personality. She's a director herself from the Philippines, and she's incredible. She's got an amazing uh, style all her own. And also, each each of us, I think John and Marie and I, all have had slightly different takes on, on how to tell the story, but they really blended well. So ultimately it was that we complimented each other. Um, that, that John Peters interview is probably our, our most glorious moment though, because getting that interview at the very, very end of the production, like I said, we already had a, a cut. We had a film that was, you know, almost ready to go, but I was really, John wasn't as insistent as I was about getting John Peters. Um, partly because you hear the artists and you hear them saying negative things yeah. and you start to believe everything you hear, you know, right. and John's an artist. And, you know, it, it, he was like, I don't know if I really want to interview him. And I said, we don't have a film unless we, we interview him because then you're, you, you are leading, you know, you're not There's able two to sides tell a story. story yeah. right. Exactly. Right. And, and John Peters is, has been mythologized. I mean, Kevin Smith has made so much mileage off this guy for so many years. We love Kevin, by the way, but it's like he became the butt of a joke. And without getting his voice in his own words, um, 
you really, it would just be speculation from here to late end of time. So right. it was incredible to get that. And he's a, he was as passionate or more passionate than anyone else on the production from the get-go. Yeah, John Peters was amazing to talk to. Literally, after just talking with him for 15, 20 minutes, I completely understood where he was coming from. It was like a lot of people were like, oh, this crazy stuff he says. It's like, no, this guy's, you know, produced hundreds of films. This was his, he was trying to get this, this vision that he saw, even though it's not really a Superman vision, he was trying to see this action adventure come to life. So it was really fun to talk to him and he's still passionate about it. So it was, right. it was great to talk to him. Right. He's, he's almost like unfairly vilified for his role. But Definitely. I mean, he brings, he brought Batman to the big screen. He was trying to yep. bring a new interpretation of Superman to the big screen and you know, he, he had some like he had some crazy ideas that were probably going to work on film. But, you know, not seeing that finalized film, you know, like you can only, what, what the energy was he was bringing. Right. To it. He says it in the film. He's like, you know, I was trying to bring the energy of uh, an action hero to this. You know, he, he was trying to bring in a monster that would be a formidable opponent. You know, he was coming from his own perspective. But what he what they might have ended up with might have been completely different. It's just he was trying to get people to get on board that. It needed to be full of action, you know, right. and, and passion and and blood and guts. Yeah, imagine being in a imagine being John Peters and somebody showing him Superman for the quest for suck. <laughs> and you're literally watching this crazy orange spandex idiot with like fingernails. No, look at your man. He's like, we're done with that. He's not fighting another human. He needs to fight a monster. That's where it's coming from. Actually, to, to detour just for a second, we had brunch with friends, artist friends of ours this morning. We were talking about that other documentary about Golan and Globus, which... Uh, Electric guys, Boogaloo. If you have not seen oh, it Oh, yeah, the canon one. Streaming, yep. And there's a lot of Superman for the quest for peace in there. It's awesome. It's shocking how bad and how sh uh, just how shitty that film was. And that they even got their fingers on it. I know. It's always... It's, I swear to God, like, there's a lot of, like, Superman apologists out there. It's not that bad. I'm like, fuck you. Watch yeah, it again. It's bad. It's on Netflix right now, I believe, still. That's where I caught it was Netflix. Yeah, dude, it's a fucking double-featured nightmare with Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Go to sleep and bury yourself after you watch this. <laughs> they killed the franchise. They yeah. killed the Superman franchise. Yeah, they're yeah, murderers of franchises. Yeah, right. So it's like, you know, you expect them to suck, but then you watch them and you forget how, how much they bad. suck when you actually watch them. Speaking of, like, the energy that John was able to bring, what was the atmosphere? Were you a little apprehensive going in there because... You know, for he brings the energy. He talks about you know being in five hundred fights. You know, sure. you know, no, the, yeah. the man is blood. super fucking strong. He's a black belt in karate. Yeah, but I'll I'll tell you this: I I never have these kind of apprehensions when we do interviews and stuff, just because I'm a, just approaching it just like I'm a human being. They're a human being, uh, and and I, I whatever energy they bring, I bring the same kind of energy, and it's it, it was very natural. I say I praise our team, John, especially for that. Um, John's a very personable guy. He's a funny guy. People in, immediately are set at ease by him. And so, but the fact that we were such a tiny crew, actually, when we met John Peters, we finally met him and we were in his place. You know, he had a big smile on his face and he was like, he was like, check out the skull ship. And that was the first thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, excited about it. Um, and sitting ship. down with him, we've had long conversations with Peters even since then. And oh, wow. he's very self-effacing. Um, and he really loved the documentary too. He really loved it, but it was, he's actually not intimidating. He's very, he's, he's aware of himself. You yeah. know, he may talk like, he, he, uh, to be honest, he really is, uh, you know, he's had a really hard life. I mean, 
a lot of people have made fun of that too. He's from the valley, and how can he say he's from the streets? The guy's been in jail a lot, you know. So Damn. he used to beat up the fender of his car. He told us he was showing us his, his mitts, and he, he used to beat up his car just to break his fingers so that he would bulk up his knuckles and be a better fighter. Yeah, and you got to remember how hard it is to do anything in fucking Hollywood. It's so it's like you know when you're when you're talking to somebody who's like created things out of nothing and like got wrestled money from different people to be able to make over a hundred movies and then you look at the at the filmography and you're like holy fuck Caddyshack, Batman, yeah. uh, Rain Man, right. you can just, talk shit all you like, American Werewolf in London. The evidence is there. So how long did it like you said it took like two and a half years? How long was like the editing process and getting like all the effects? Was that just another like six months to a year of just doing that? Yeah, you know what? I don't think we even started editing until, like, I think it was, like, June of 2014. June or July of 2014. So we edited for, like, a good 10 solid months. But, like, before that, we were simply shooting and collecting footage and then transferring it. So, you know, we'd, like, transfer it, log it, make sure it was, like, recorded and the audio was, like, also transferred. Um, And, you know, because it really didn't make sense to actually start editing anything until we can cross edit and like you know like so it, you know we got the kevin smith uh interview in february and then we did the t- in february 2014 and then we got the tim burton in march of 2014 and then april and may and june of 2014 i think we got about 10 different artists and production designers and we interviewed colleen atwood the, the costume designer great, so yeah. So we started really rock and get all these amazing interviews. And so then like right around June or July is when we started to like really start to like, all right, let's start to cut this. And we, Steve Johnson, we interviewed him. And so we started to cut it into different sections. Like here's the resuscitation suit scene and here are the costume, the costume scenes. And so we started to put it into these big sections. And once we had a, like a big enough section, then we'd start to cross cut it. So it, it really was kind of a, a, a process. A while, for a while there, we did have like the, like it wasn't, uh, we had it se- separated. It was compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah. And I, we, I think finally we both, we all realized we're like, this is just not flowing the right way. So we had to basically, you know, it was like jigsawing it in a way that, that felt like it flowed. Yeah. But really what the, the, the glue was John Peters. Cause once we got John Peters, part of what happened with John Peters was that when we, uh, when he agreed to do the interview, he wanted the questions in advance. So we, since we already had pretty much a cut at that point, we were able to go through the whole story and, and go, okay, what do we need answered here? Yeah. So when we put our, when we compiled our questions, we were able to basically dovetail all of what he was saying with the rest of what everyone else was saying because it, it reflected and it connected just organically and naturally. So, um, so when you hear, you know, Tim Burton saying, well, John Peters is a force, force of nature, um, I don't know how, I don't know how Peter, did Peters know we, he had said no, that? No, because we didn't. Yeah, that was really yeah, weird. Because he good. actually said the same thing. Peter says, well, some people call me a force of nature. I mean, it sounded like it was scripted. That was not right. scripted. You know I was just I mean? like lucky. There were a lot of cool lucky moments like that countdown thing with yeah. like Kevin Smith. He had four rules, three rules, and then Peters lists off the two rules. And then yeah. honestly, he was like, and what was the third was one? The third? Like, it couldn't, comic timing. It was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> It's like all of us were like, oh, my God, this works so fluid and awesome, you know? Yeah, one of my favorite bits is the is when John uh, is drinking water while 
John, oh, Peters is is taking the phone call. Right. That's such an awesome scene. Like, can you can you like tell us why you guys decided to leave that in the film? Because obviously sure. that could have been yeah. mixed out in the editing process, no problem. But why was yeah. that left in? Well, I put it in. I, I it was my decision to actually put that in as a kind of a a break because like Holly Holly was saying, we had it all in sections. We had like the skull ship and the menagerie, and we had these little subtitles for it or little super titles that were in kind of breaking each scene up. Yeah. We decided to get rid of those, but then once we did that and we kind of rearranged a lot of stuff, there were a few sections that was like, oh my god, there's like, uh, like a lot of production design all in the same like yeah, twenty we minutes. everything. So uh, one night I was looking at that, you know, the phone call thing, and I just kind of space ghost edited myself so it looked like I kept <laughs> drinking the water. The whole scene yes. was about thirty seconds longer, and I basically was like kind of doing it just to give the whole to, to give a break to like a palate cleanser but so part of uh part of it is that so the the phone call itself though was left in because peter's were peter said you can leave that in you can use that that's going to happen because when it, when it first happened you know i'm behind the camera with the cameraman and i was like all right let's stop for a second and we'll pick up after the phone call is done and Peters turns to me and he's like, no, 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 that's going to happen. You can leave that in. You can have that for free. That's so awesome. It was like, we were like, okay, well, we will then. So, and there were, there, like I said, there were three phone calls. We picked one. Mm. And then John extended that drinking water scene just as sort of a palate cleanser and for comedic relief. But it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a goof on Peters. It was just like, this was, really happened. Yeah, and it was also just to have a little fun and just like give a break, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and in fact, at the end... Uh, we cut it out, but at the end, uh, Peters kind of looks at the camera and says, um, see, I'm, no, you I'm, look at yeah, it, Peter says, see, I'm, uh, I say, see, that's John Peters. He's always working. And he's like, you know, there was like a little back and forth between me and Peters, but it just felt better just to like instantly just cut right to the skull ship. So I'm glad people got a kick out of it. And, uh, and Peters loves that scene too. So. Yeah, that's, his, that's one of his favorite parts of the film. He's like, you showed me as I really am. That's the first time I've actually been shown like I really am. That's People awesome. can see that I'm, you know, I'm always working and that I have a sense of humor. And so he really likes it. So there's obviously, you guys, you guys nailed it. You got John Peters. There, there's got to be like people that you really wanted to talk to, but didn't. Oh, get you mean like Nick Cage? Kind of yeah. like Nick Cage, yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's a long protracted story. I first got in contact with his manager, and then Holly took over and kept talking with him for months, and had a really good rapport. He came over, we showed him a rough, a really early rough cut. Like Wait, not even, yeah, no, not yeah. even close. To not, we didn't have Dan Gilroy. We didn't yeah. have John Peters. It's really rough. And uh, he said, I, I really enjoy it. I think Nick will enjoy this. Uh, I'll talk to him about it, you know. And The one thing he said was, he said, wow, it's really kind of coming hard at John Peters. But the fact of the matter was that the cut that he had seen was before Peters was even in it. And it was just the artists talking about Peters at that point. Okay. So you can see how even ha just having Peters in it balances it out so, so perfectly. Yeah. But talking about uh, Nicholas Cage. So, yeah, I was in contact with his manager for quite some time. And I was... I. I kind of now feel like I was, it was, I felt like I was bait on a hook. I don't know. But it was like, I was really, really, really hoping we would get Nick. We were never told no until the very final, like last few weeks. Gotcha. Um, so there was a week actually when, when his manager said, well, Nick's going to be coming back from a shoot. Uh, and then, you know, that's 
overseas and then he's going to be back in California, Nevada for a week. And then he's heading off to do another shoot. So if he's going to do it, it would be this window that he could do it in. And unfortunately, Nick decided he wasn't going to come back to the States. He's just going to go from one shoot to the next. So, uh, so that window closed and by the end of it also at the time too, one thing I'd like to emphasize is that, um, at that time was when Cage was becoming an internet sensation. So, um, like a living meme. Yeah. He became became a joke. Good times. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to sort of laugh at that stuff and have no attachment to him being a a human being, you know what I mean? But he is a human being and it, you know, I, I have a feeling that that was a part of the decision-making process to finally say no, because he didn't know what we were making. And at that point he was being made fun of, on a you know a minute to minute basis. Right. So every every time he would do like some junket for one of his uh, new films, uh, you know, uh, people would jump jump him and be like, "Hey, what about that Superman thing?" So we have a lot of people in the biz that we know are like busting on him and like asking him questions about it, and we never got to ask him any questions. But luckily, you know, he had already talked about it a few years back, and so that's the the him talking about that film was when he was doing a Crude's junket, and uh, you know, and the greatest thing about uh, getting that footage of Nick Cage of no, I'm talking about the footage of Nick Cage and Tim Burton back from 1997 and 98. It's not only is it the most fantastic archival footage that we ever saw for this entire film, jaw dropping. It's a 45, there's 45 minutes of it. Holly and I watched it when we were in London, literally with our jaws, just agape. We were like, what? Oh my God. Like, um, so we only used about seven minutes of it in the film, but, it's it's just amazing because it captures not only what Tim Burton was going for, but what Nicolas Cage was going for and mm-hmm. what those both of those guys were going to add to the Superman mythology, the way they were going to play Car- Clark Kent, the way they were going to play Superman. I just think so much of it was is is in that is in that footage. And then it's complemented by the way we we're able to talk to the artists and, and, and see the other designs. You're not left hungry for Nicolas Cage. No, in, no. In our film. You know, no. there's no point where you're like well where's nick you're you're like oh my god there's nicholas cage as superman you yeah, know right. it's not um i don't feel like we we lost anything by not ha- having the interview with him it would be nice if we could talk to him about it um yeah. but at the same time it didn't the film didn't suffer for it no nick if you're out there and you're listening we would love to still shoot an interview with you and uh, maybe do we'll a do follow a, up do a special edition someday that'd be awesome Hell yeah so We've talked, you guys, you know, talked to Lorenzo, John Peters, Dan Gilroy, Tim Burton about, you know, like, why did this movie kind of, like, not make it in the can? Why wasn't it made? Now, you guys are, like, the, P- you guys have, like, a doctorate, like, a PhD on the death of Superman, of the Superman lives. <laughs> yeah, right. I yeah, think right. so. We've graduated, yeah. like, 45 right. different right. fucking colleges. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, like, taking, like, a step back as, some, like, like I said, you have, like, a PhD. Why do you guys think that the film didn't make it like like they were like right there like they were doing costume tests then it got shit canned why do you think that happened i think it's fear it was fear 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 and simple we're all on the same me and holly are on the same page about the way the reason that we think it didn't make it is it's it's the it's not it's a it's overwhelming fear of taking that step into the unknown and when you think about like if you look back at the at the 90s and even the 80s the way films of course, the 70s, everyone's always like saying, oh, they were taking risks in the 70s. 
they're taking risks in the 80s and they were taking risks in the 90s because there wasn't the competitive nature that we have now, which is Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and digital and streaming and video phones and YouTube and all this other shit didn't fucking exist. So literally it was television, three or four channels, and you had cable, and then you had the movies. So you could take risks. There were medium budget films that were being made, which don't exist anymore. The 40 to $60 million budget films. Um, I think that that form of a risk where Warner Brothers, where we showcase, they're like, hey, look, we, we're losing a lot of money with these films that we're taking risks with. We can't afford to do a $300 million film, but you're also dealing with something like Superman, which they had, you know, they didn't, you know, there was that Superman quest for peace, which was a big bomb. They just had Batman and Robin come out, which was another stinking bomb. <laughs> so it's one of those things where they were like, we can't afford to take a risk especially when people were kind of, even back then in 1998, even though 97, uh, Nicolas Cage had won an Oscar and you have Tim Burton who had just, you know, gotten them hundreds of millions of dollars on Batman with John Peters. They were like, we feel it's a risk to have these people together. Only now do you feel that it's like, oh my God, people look at this and are like, I wish we could have seen that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's just another, with Nick, it was just another example of everyone gets trepidatious when they're, when it's not the iconic person you have in your mind of who this, who this character, this iconic beloved character is in your mind's eye. It, you know, every time it's been done, not every time it's been done. Clearly not every time, but the one the times it's worked, they've been pretty much wild card castings. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I think it would have been a really big success. We we both kind of are in that camp, but yeah. at the same time, the other thing to think about too is the fact that the scripts weren't finished. There right. wasn't a script that was solid yet. So they were they were going to shoot, but they didn't have a, a solid script. They might have had the beginning, but the rest of it wasn't finished. No, because like Gilroy, as he says, he was like cutting scenes left and right while they were deciding the fate of of Superman lives, they were like, we need to lose $80 million. So he was like, he was like weekly cutting entire scenes or transforming scenes that were going to be on Brainiac's skull ship to uh, Lex Luthor's office. A lot of stuff was getting condensed. And I might even say not for the best, because when you have something on such a giant scale, like what that Superman lives movie would have been, if they let it get made the way it was supposed to get made, it would have been, a giant, big, cosmic, science fiction, space fucking opera with Superman in it. Hell yeah. And that would have been amazing. I mean, you have Christopher Walken playing Brainiac. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Kevin there were Spacey. numerous elements similar to Mars Attacks, but honestly, when you look at what they were going to do, it would have been incredible, I think. And they took the briefs off of Superman, too. Yeah, yes. you know, it's, it's, hard, well, it's, hard, it's hard to, to tell. tell. I mean, you saw that final photo. Yeah. Uh, Right, so there was still there was still a you know there was a yeah. cod piece at they, that point. <laughs> yeah, they had they had both they had both versions. When Superman Lives started, Nicolas Cage was going to already be Superman. It was an origin movie, and he was going to be in that suit that you saw at the end of the movie. It's very close to that. He would have had the red briefs. Once he dies and he's resuscitated, he would have had the silver S, and he wouldn't have had the briefs. He would have had a more like a cobalt blue, almost outer space, very silvery reflective blue outfit. It would have been badass. I think and that would have been carried through to yeah. the next film. So right? it's kind of yeah, it's yeah. kind of that kind of cool thing. So I'm assuming that have have the two of you gotten a chance to read all three versions of the script that was made? Yeah, no, I, I've read all versions of the both Kevin Smith drafts, the Wesley Strick draft, and two of the Dan Gilroy drafts. So there's five versions altogether. And I don't include any of the previous ones before Kevin came on because it was right. called Superman Reborn. Like, it was a totally, right. yeah, and it was a totally, completely 100% different 
script, even though it involved with Superman dying, it was it's like, not relevant it's not relevant. Right. And also there were later drafts of a lot of people like William Wisher and a bunch of other people. Those are also not relevant because Tim Burton wasn't involved anymore. It was like, I, we were specifically dealing with the Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage, Superman that lives. Yeah. The Kevin Smith, all the way to Dan Gilroy, that incarnation. Which one was your favorite? <laughs> uh, I'll say, you know, I mean, Kevin Smith is a, is a big sweaty. I love the man. He makes me laugh. I love all of his films. I think Tusk is fucking amazing. I yeah. can't wait to see Yoga Hosers. Yeah. I th- I'm, I'm so into what he's doing now as a filmmaker. He's taking those risks, and that's what I'm talking about. Like Nobody has the fucking balls to take risks anymore, and he's doing it. So I really respect him on those levels. And, you know, I mean, what he did was he wrote uh, an ode to comic book fans when he wrote that Superman script. And I, granted, he was doing the things like... You know, that he talks about John Peters, like he can't fly and he has to have this and he has to fight a spider and stuff like that. And why polar bears with Brainiac? Because we need to have action scene. Peters is that old school producer, just like Roger Corman, where he's like, we need these beats every five minutes. You got to have a joke. Then you got to have action. You got to have this. So he was basing a lot of what he knew of of blockbusters on what Spielberg had accomplished. Totally. So when when he spoke with Spielberg years prior to Superman lives, he was like, okay, this is what needs to happen. These are models that work. We need to follow these paradigm, these uh, parameters, yeah, the five act structure. So yeah, I mean, Kevin Smith script is really fun to read. I mean, granted there's like bizarro characters like the Elron robot and shit that I'd be like, can you get rid of that? But like stuff like that in the early treatments, I mean, the dialogue between Clark and Lois, Superman and Lois, I mean, I I just like the way he portrayed Lex Luthor. So I love the those two versions. There's two drafts. Look them up. They're easily easy to get online. There's, there's one. There's also uh, I I prefer the Dan Gilroy, but the there's one of them's hard to find online. Um, I think it's the second one that's yeah. hard to find. So I, I'm sure it's out there at this point. Yeah, but it's I out, actually it's like that what, what Dan Gilroy Gilroy did paring things down because yeah. he got very clever with it. So it's just. You know, unfortunately, it was it was it was dead in the water. Yeah, and it's one of those things too, because like you know, I mean, Wesley Strick's not a comic book fan, and he was like literally coming in and just kind of adding a lot of humor to it. And um, when Dan Gilroy came in, he was trying to humanize it a little bit more. So you know, really, it, it literally was kind of like if you guys read them, you'll see the story structures are basically the same, the beats are the same, but uh, I kind of prefer. You know, for the comic book sweatiness, I like the Kevin Smith version. And then I like kind of the alien, the lost alien perspective that Wesley Strick started, but Gilroy kind of like capped it, even though it's like it never got the scripts were never 100 percent complete. And also the relationship drama was really intense with Dan Gilroy's. So that just raised the stakes on what the repercussions of, you know, furthering that relationship with Lois was. And I just really liked his his angle on that. Because that's never even been, you know, the, I feel like that relationship has been, we've seen it recycled over right. and over and over again in so many Superman films. And God, I don't want to see that story anymore. I want to see something completely different. I want to see, you know, I do want to see it go off world. Too. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, they're going to have like Nicolas Cage freaking out, not only just because he's discovers, you know, he's always known he's in super powered. But in this version, he finally discovers he's an alien and why he's always felt like an outcast. And I, I really feel that comic book fans, especially, you know, people who read comic books when they were in, in, in high school, they would get made fun of and they felt like they were an outcast. And this version of Superman would have been so empathetic. You would, you would actually 
the you would get why this person feels like he's an alien, why he's an outcast, why That's he's mentioned no, the Clark know. Kent angles. Yeah, so it just it's you know those are the things, and then when you look at Nicolas Cage playing that, I mean, it's kind of fantastic. It's sad that it didn't happen. I agree. Um, so you're known for doing a lot of animated stuff, directing, yeah. co-creating. I mean, like you name it, you've done it. Like, what did what did you find from that from doing all that kind of stuff that helped you out in making this documentary? Because that was kind of like treading new waters for you, right? Yeah, definitely was. Um, you know what I found was I found like um, being passionate about something and and strongly believing and having a direction when you start something. Like I had written out a uh, an outline, like an Act One, Act Two, Act Three, and though it changed quite a bit, it kind of stayed very similar to it. But you know, it just got replaced with like, oh well, we got this person, this person, this person. So. But kind of knowing in the back of my mind, even without seeing this mountain of artwork and getting this footage, I just I knew that there was something there. You know, I just felt that. Yeah. So that to me, I felt like if you if you have that little man in your gut, like from, you know, double indemnity keys, you got that little man in my gut, you know, <laughs> that little man in your gut. And uh, I've always kind of I've always kind of done that with any project that I start. I've always felt very confident about. Uh, seeing it through and uh, you, you know, have to have that passion. I think yeah. if, if you're a creative person, you, if you're making, if you're creating things, you have to have a passion about what it is you're creating. Um, and whether it's something that's handed to you, you have to put your own spin on it. You have to find something that you absolutely love about it. Because yeah. that's the only thing that's going to keep you going. And for myself, like I felt like, um, you know, kind of being the the audience avatar as you will like i didn't know if i was ever going to talk to kevin smith or, or 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 tim burton so i put myself in as as the replacement person for the audience like hey let's go on a journey and find out about superman lives but i will tell you this much about john was it was a real struggle for me and marie at points because john really didn't want himself in the movie it's like uh john we need you and we need you here you know we have no, to I come kept, back to you i kept cutting myself out it's like we had to put him back in just kept shaving himself out of it yeah so i mean that was a little bit of a struggle but it's like um honestly it's like i decided to you know keep more of myself in there because i've been doing like uh you know the movie talk show on the web series if you check out collider heroes oh yeah, oh, yeah. nerds listening to this you should be watching collider heroes every, every tuesday <laughs> afternoon but uh and i also do collider movie talk during the day so it's those kinds of shows that made me feel com- comfortable like i i'd done a lot of theater and i've been a lot of music videos when i was younger so I never felt weird about doing any of this kind of stuff in front of the camera. But uh, to be honest with you, like editing myself, like I started out professionally as an editor doing Space Goes Coast to Coast. Yes. And I love editing. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like I don't want to like do it, be an editor for a bunch of different television shows. But I editing creative, cool stuff like I edited so many episodes of Metalocalypse as well as directed them doing compositing. I always feel really comfortable in storyboarding stuff. So I I felt very confident that like if we were able to get enough interviews we could put together a really good documentary and be able to do some cool recreation scenes. I always wanted to do that. Even though we never got the money up until the very end to do it, I always intended on doing that. So it was really fun to, to put it all together and to, to, it was honestly to take the time. It was, it fucking sucked going broke. Holly and I were broke like five or six times over the two and a half years for months, selling our own stuff and doing, selling my comic collection, just doing selling stuff just to stay alive to keep moving forward with the film. But honestly, it's all worth it because we were able to make a film that we're damn fucking proud of. And, uh, you know, like uh, about a couple, about a couple weeks before we premiered it in April, in April, th- April 30th, it was like maybe it was April 20, 20th or something. 30th was 
premiere. Yeah, so like it was like a, a week and a half beforehand. It was we we had just watched it like I think three times in a row, kind of combing through it. And then uh, me and Marie and uh, Holly all kind of looked at each other and we were like, like there was a it was a, this unified moment. We were all we were like all glowing. We we're like, holy fuck! I think we have we have a good film. It's I think this is fucking awesome. So it's it's sort of like because you watch it so many times and it's like you become divorced from it you're just looking at like i can't stand that weird sound that i make in this part cut that fucking yeah. out or like you're looking at somebody's weird <laughs> eye you twitch. know what the downside to that was that and I'll, i won't re- replay what happened on the night we actually premiered it in front of 700 people at the egyptian theater in hollywood but we were literally four hours away from our our red carpet world premiere all these people were invited it's a huge event sold out sold out and we still didn't have a, an authored Blu-ray yet to play for the screening. Um, John was up for well over 24 hours. We were having horrible technical issues. But one of the things that we noticed, what, what happens when you watch something over and over again, sometimes you do miss stuff. And when we saw the film on the big screen, there was a clip of Tim Burton that was used twice. And we nearly had it. Well, we didn't actually realize it at first. A, a friend of ours who was an editor said, you realize you have that clip in there twice. We're like, well, fuck, no. Nobody <laughs> yeah. noticed except this guy. But. Yeah, so we, we played that clip, I think, for the other two screenings. Nobody, you know, one or two people might have noticed it. But, you know, and then we went back in and, and fixed a bunch of little things and, you know, fixed some, you know, some of the end credit Kickstarter people, this and that. So we, we went through and, like, did a couple of adjustments on the video before we actually made the Blu-rays and released it all. But it literally was, like, such a tiny crew of people making this thing. But, you know, honestly, uh, just like last week, I hadn't watched the film again for like, you know, maybe three or four months now. I hadn't seen it. Um, cause when we do our screenings, I'll, I'll leave and we'll go fucking hang outside or, you know, we, if we screen it somewhere, we, you know, so we've seen the movie a million times. We don't want to see it again. We'll come back for a Q and A. But, uh, 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 one of Holly's friends was over at our place and he hadn't seen the film yet. And I had just gotten home and they just kind of started. So it was like 10, 15 minutes in already. And it was like the Kevin Smith part where he's getting into like the whole everything with Peters. So I sat down and just literally watched it all the way to the end again. I was like, it's sometimes like you make something and all of a sudden now it's not even your thing. You're watching it just as another piece of entertainment. I was like, damn, that was fun, man. I wish they made that fucking movie. You know what I mean? It's right. like, you're like, you just become a viewer and you're like, holy shit, it does. It really does hold up a lot. I think the the best compliment that we've gotten uh, on our film is that when we, we'll get tweets where people are like, yo, I just saw it. it's on Showtime, dude. I've watched it like seven times. Yeah, I fucking love that shit. Yeah, because it really is repeat viewing because there's so much flavor involved. You're like, oh, Let's shit. check it out. Yeah. Not only not only is the film good for repeat viewing, but what John was talking about earlier about some of the people that we interviewed early on when we uh, didn't get all the, the major players like comic book artists and writers, names that you know, um, they all made it on the Blu-ray. So we have all these extras. Yeah. I mean, we have, I kid you not, eight over eight and a half hours of extras. Yeah, this isn't Blu-ray. just like raw footage. This is all edited together. Like, it's seriously like an edited together featurette, which is almost an hour. Like, deleted scenes that are like 40 minutes. Like, whereas like, I can't figure out where to put this thing with Wesley Strick. That was like <laughs> certain things, like at the very last minute, like I remember Holly and we were like, we gotta cut this out. And I was like, fuck. It was like, it was like Wesley Strick talking about the origins of K as a little Tinkerbell light. So there's all these little things that that, that were like, in the movie for a really long time until like literally the last like two or three weeks and those became the deleted scenes so it's like it's a like kevin smith came and did a q a with us on our third night 
of the premiere, our third premiere night. And he, him and I and Marie and Holly, we all and riffed. Chris. And Chris, we all riffed for like an hour and a half. And it was really fun. Actually, we, we riffed for longer than the length of the film. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> well, you get nerds <laughs> talking. Really yeah, it was, right. Kevin had never seen the film yet. He hadn't seen the film yet. So he was like, I had no idea all this other stuff had happened since I, you know, so it was so much, it was fun to see him react to yeah, it. Yeah, I'll tell you something really, uh, well, this is not something that's, you know, has been public knowledge. But so when we had the night that Kevin was there, um, he watched the film. We were actually sitting behind him while he was watching the film. So it was great to see the, the points where he would laugh and, and, you know, just like him seeing John Peters react to, to all of those stories after all these years was such a treat. I wish I was able to, to film him watching right. the film for the first time because it was fascinating to see him where he would crack up and he's like, yep, that's what he said to me. You know, it's like, yeah. remembering. He's re, you know, reliving those moments with Peters. Yeah, Kevin Smith's such a, a super awesome sweaty. He asked me to be on Fat Man and Batman, where I'm just going to talk about my favorite Batman comics. So I'm going to sweat it out next week with him. So that'll be really fun. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we have a giant we have, Kevin Smith fan. Yeah, we're huge Kevin Smith fans. Uh, like Every time I rewatch it, like I get like different like little things. I've probably watched it like 10 or 11 times. But like the last time I watched awesome. it... Yeah, it's it's freaking sweet. It there, is there, that awesome. There, there's like one moment I didn't catch. There, like you're interviewing Tim Burton. There's a crazy weird doll like sitting off like this <laughs> back. That's like the, you mean the one that looks um, Asian that's wearing the the army jacket? Yeah, I yes. think so. I'm like, yeah, that... that's from uh, Big Fish. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm like, damn, that's creepy and like awesome. I I held it like a baby and I took photos with that's it. That's right. <laughs> You have, you have those on Instagram? I, I do. I should yeah. repost that. You should, uh, you should all friend Holly on Instagram. Her her secret name is Betty Draper's underscore fat suit. Yes. So, Madman <laughs> Yeah, so Madman Reference, one of the greatest Instagram top tags, titles, names you'll it's ever fucking see. And it's all of Holly's interests and her weird obsession with eyeballs. And, <laughs> like, I fucking implore you all to follow Betty Draper's underscore fat suit and join, enjoy the madness. <laughs> so I get, to, I get to enjoy it every day. You should too. Where, where can we find you? Like, where can we purchase this amazing film? Like, well, you can find, you can find our documentary. You can get a digital download or you could just rent it right now by going yes. to tdoslwh.com. You could put www in front of it or just like search the death of Superman lives in Google and what'll pop up is tdoslwh.com. And there you can just get a digital download of the film, or you can get the super pack is what we're calling it, which has the, the film plus all eight hours of bonus features plus two separate commentaries. Plus we also just recently added some of the individual um, special features for rental and for purchase just all on their own. So you can pick and choose what you want to see. You don't have to get all of them if you don't want to. If you want just the Kevin Smith package, we have a super deluxe Kevin Smith package. Yeah. So. And then if you if you if you if you're like a physical media person and you want to own something, we have the Blu-ray and we also have the deluxe. It was only for Kickstarter uh, people at first, but we had a, we have about 500 left. So we were like, hey, let's just let them let whoever wants to get them get them. So you can get a combo pack which has a variant cover with John Peters choking me out. It's an amazing <laughs> painting. It's another painting by Nick Rungi, the guy Rungi, the guy who did our 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 cover uh, painting. Which I was I'm I'm a big fucking nerd and I was like, look. The movie poster has to fucking sum up what the movie's about and has to have that. It has to emulate those 80s posters that are just cool. It can't just be a giant head. It has to be something cool. 
So he killed it. He did an amazing painting. It was like a, oh, it was like a, an homage to young Frankenstein. It's me with electricity coming out of my hands, fucking bringing Superman back to life with Kevin Smith floating on one side and Tim Burton on the other. It's an amazing, incredible painting. And then, and then Nick knocked out another one, which is phenomenal. And it's like, scenes from the movie with photos and stuff all torn up he's a and wonderkin yeah he's amazing he's also a protege of drew struzan so yeah. oh he's worked oh, wow. under drew struzan which is you can definitely see the influence there but so yeah if you're a fan of his and the second poster that's the variant combo pack cover is a homage to the second star wars painting that drew did oh. where it's sort of like the star wars thing is stuck and it's like ripped up and stuff so there's little like nods to certain things all throughout the movie i did a a Dune reference when Grant Morrison is talking and he fades away and then he comes back and it's just like Princess Irulan who's like, oh yes, I almost forgot. It's on a planet called Dune. It was like, fucking had to throw that shit in there. So there's a lot of weird shit in the movie that little moments that are in there, little Easter eggs. But uh, yeah, if you guys want to go to TDOSLWH.com you can get that film that's also available as a Blu-ray DVD combo pack. And, just to make it less confusing. And it's signed, too. Ooh. Just to make it less confusing for people, too, it's every letter of the title of the film. So, T-D-O-S-L-W-H, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Yeah. We got one more question. Like, we're all nerds over here. Awesome. You guys are nerds. Um, Batman vs. Superman's coming out March. Who I'm do you sorry, got? Batman v. Superman. Batman v. Superman, sorry. What what do you who do you who do you got Batman or Superman winning that? First of all, the fucking title is insane. Batman v Superman: The Dawn of Justice. Why is it is it a courtroom drama? I swear to God, it's Law and it's Order a movie to be like three hours of them sitting in court with Holly Hunter and that opening scene where you see Superman walking in is the beginning of the fucking movie. And it's all told Law and Order. Yeah. Dun dun. Flashback. <laughs> you're like, what is going on? This movie's insane. It's fucking trippy weird flashbacks that's all i gotta say about that but man i am i'm fucking jacked out when i saw that that those last photos with batman in some kind of fucking desert camo with the fucking omega fucking beam blasted into the sun like you're like mad max and batman i mean dark side come on man this movie a lot of people are like it's got too many characters and you're like uh the avengers has like 30 characters and no one's complaining about that but then are. are you talking about ultron well, yeah, know, they complain. People complain, about, uh, people complain about everything. Fuck them. Um, I think Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to introduce everyone to the DC world of heroes and villains in a cool way. And, you know, I mean, sure, I had problems with that second trailer where it's like, why are you showing, is she with you? I thought she was with you. It's like, don't show them teaming up. It's called Batman fucking fighting Superman. What's wrong with you? <laughs> fucking shit up. And then they show Wonder Woman, and then the title comes on Batman v Superman. I'm like, you just ruined it, you idiots. I would say we were at a panel at a place at Magic City Con two weeks ago, and uh, and because of Wonder Woman not having any lines, I was calling it Batman Vagina Superman. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? So. I think I think Warner Brothers heard everyone's complaints about the Ninja Turtle Doomsday and showing Wonder Woman and the issue with you. And so all the campaigns since then have been focusing on Batman v Superman versus Superman and showing why does Batman want to take out Superman? Why does Superman want to take out Batman? And that's what you should be focusing on. And with someone like Ben Affleck, what an incredible performance as Bruce Wayne. And you know he's going to yeah. kill it as Batman. I'm I was 100% sold and behind Affleck when they announced it. The week they announced it, 
We were on Movie Talk. I was like, I think this is a bold, strong move. Look at the town. Look at the talent in the, that this guy has got. We're not it's talking another, about Daredevil. It's another, it, well, it's not even wild card casting with Ben Affleck this time. You know, people just want to shit on everything. Yeah. So uh, I will say my my opinions on, on what Batman v Superman are going to be. I, I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan. Um, and so he can be a little bombastic and a little too graphics heavy. There's just, you know, there's not as much uh, emotional backbone with what he does. So I don't know what to expect. I hope it's a really fun ride. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, I want to strangle and throw in the flip river. The red coming. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll say this about Zack Snyder. I am a big fan of Zack Snyder. Minus Sucker Punch. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'll just, <laughs> let's just forget about Sucker Punch. I like Watchmen. I thought Watchmen was fantastic. Yes. And I loved how true true to the comic he was. Even though Alan Moore's name is not on it, those are I'd say 85% of the lines are from Alan Moore's fucking script from the comic book. Yeah. It's almost a shot for shot version. The costumes are faithful. I mean, you, I mean, if you have people complaining and crying and whining about a film where they made a basically a three and a half hour fucking director's super cut where it's got the animated weird fucking, you know, Last pirate layers. comic in there and people are still crying and whining and complaining, even though it's basically taken from Dave Gibbons compositions. You will never please anybody. I think that film is one of the most faithful comic book adaptations, and it's exciting. I think they killed it with Rorschach. What was his name? Jackie Earl Haley? Jack, Jackie Earl Haley. Haley. I mean, just the casting alone is fantastic. So for myself, I'm really, really excited about Batman v Superman and Dawn of Justice because I think it's kind of a self-corrective course that DC and Zack Snyder and everybody went on by let's introduce a lot of the DC universe in this film. So I think it's smart. I mean, they can't do what Marvel did. Marvel was ahead of the curve. They were smart with what they did. I mean, I think Superman Returns and Green Lantern are just misfires that were not part of the same universe. Which they didn't do anything. Which gets us back to Superman Lives. We would have been in a completely different era with Superman right now if Superman Lives had been made. Totally right. You know, it's, it's oh, so definitely. insane. I have to say, though, I cannot wait for Civil War. That's the one I can't wait for. Um, between the two trailers, I think Civil War. I think Captain, Amer Captain America dies. Calling it gets fucking shot yeah. to death. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah. <it would>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think we're gonna wrap it up and let you guys get to your night. We cannot thank you enough for coming on the show, John Holly. It was such a great time. Um, we're all three of us here are, are products of the '90s. So, I mean, I grew up watching the late night. Adult Swim, and I mean, The Venture Brothers, Metalocalypse, Aqua Teen, like, some of my favorite shows that have ever been on the airwaves, those, man. All three of those shows paid me well, and I enjoyed I enjoyed the Metalocalypse especially. Did you it, guys ever watch anything, a show called Liquid Television? I can't say that I have. Ah, okay, then you're too young. Darn. Holly is the lips of the lady from Liquid Television, the well, weird metal lips. We are going to YouTube the shit YouTube out of that in a minute. MTV's Liquid Television. We're gonna you, YouTube yeah, that. Definitely, if you if you have Netflix, check out ABCs of Death and watch yes. W. Uh, that's yeah. one of the the crazy shorts. I mean, a psycho weird comedic horror film that's all about the end of the world in four minutes, and uh, Holly gets her her eye torn out by a fucking clown. Nice, <laughs> pretty crazy. Um, you can follow me. Let me tell you where you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Please it's do. just at John Schnepp, J O N S C H N E P P. Follow me and you'll find out about all the crazy madness that's going on in the upcoming future. 
And uh, you can find our movie at TDOSLWH on Twitter. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Holly K. Payne with an E. Uh, and then again, uh, at Betty Drapers underscore Fatsuit yeah. on Instagram. Awesome. John, Holly, thank you so, so much good. for coming on. Yeah, rock on, man. It was great talking with you guys. Awesome. Have Later. a great night. Bye, Felicia. Bye.